0: Good morning. Welcome to Grace. If you all stand, we're going to sing together. Um, I just wanted to read you all something real quick from the Bible um, that Dave and I have been talking about a little bit. And uh, this is just a great reminder of why we're here and what we uh, seek to do together this morning. Um, It's from Ephesians 5, and it says, "Um, but be filled with the spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with all your heart giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. And so I think it's just a great reminder to us, um, one of the exciting things about what we do here in worshiping God is to join together, and and this is for the benefit of encouraging each other also, and to speak truth to each other. so I just encourage you, as I said, submitting to one another, if you're feeling a little bit tired or just not in it. Just remember that this is to encourage the people around you as well. To lift up the name of the Lord as, as a church. So uh, let's just sing these words out together with everything we have. Good, good to sing with you guys this morning. Uh, we don't actually want to find your chair, but keep standing. <laughs> we were trying to trick you. Uh, we wanted to teach you all a new song uh, this morning. Sorry, I'm trying to get my guitar tuned up here. Good deal. Almost. It's fighting me. There we go. Can you, can you hear that, Dave? Getting any of that? I broke a string. I was trying to hide it, but I'm not smooth enough. Okay, cool. That'll work. So we wanted to teach you guys this new song, um, so don't be scared if you, if you uh, don't know it, but uh, just kind of listen along, and you'll get the hang of it. So let's sing out together.
1: Say, Chris, if that's what you sound like with a broken string. I think we're going to be just fine. Uh, the, the other thing is, I think it's safe to say that no one in this audience is in a position to critique you about your musical talent. Your credibility is still good. Uh, if you'll uh, join me in prayer, please, Heavenly Father, thank you for this opportunity to gather together as your church, Lord, in your name. Father, we thank you for the many blessings that we have experienced in the last few months in this this body. We thank you for the wonderful talent we see up on stage now and the the gifts that you have given us as a body. Uh, We thank you for your volunteers who are are in the nursery and other ministries. Um, at, At a minimum, Lord, there are 80 to 90 children every week that we're reaching for you. We thank you, Lord. We thank you for what we've seen happening in the church around us and growth. But Lord, we ask for your continued guidance, that you help us understand what is central, and that is Jesus Christ. Help us to never lose sight of that and to continue to execute your will. We ask that you be with Dave as he prepares his words today, and that you work through him so that we may understand what it is that you would have us know. We ask for your continued blessings upon the church. In the name of your son, Jesus Christ, we pray.
2: Thank mm-hmm. you.
0: heard about that.
3: You'll open up your Bibles if you have one to Luke chapter 15. We are in Luke chapter 15 today, and uh, if you don't have a Bible, we've got some black Bibles under the chairs, and we're in page 875. 875, you'll find there Luke chapter 15. Wanted to remind you of a couple of things in our bulletin. Uh, we just had too many to say it all at once earlier, so I'm going to add a couple more now. Um, One is deacon nominations. We are taking nominations from the congregation for new deacons. Deacon is uh, just a Greek word that means servant. Uh, For some reason in the history of the church, we've held on to the Greek word instead of using the English one. But basically, it just means the official servants in the church, those that help uh, take care of uh, money and the building and just assisting the elder board and all kinds of different ministries here at the church. And so if you know of a man that fits these qualifications in this light green insert, if uh, you could nominate his name there, put his name down, uh, and waste you've seen them serve as an example in the body, uh, that would be great. And you could uh, write that down and put that in the box for us. We're taking more nominations for those. Also want to remind you in the different green, what is that, brighter green? The brighter green color, uh, we're asking for people to commit to the evening service. We're starting an evening service after Labor Day, September 12th. Um, and we'd like at least a handful of people to show up for that. So if you are willing to commit to that, that would be a blessing. I think we've got about 20 people committed right now, 20 or 25. We're looking to get about 50 people committed to that service, Uh, people that would just kind of call back their home for this school year. Um, You're not committed for the rest of your life, but if you could commit kind of for this school year, that would help us kind of get that started. I also want to recognize those that are about to deploy here in the next few months. We have a lot of folks that are deploying. Uh, I know some that were in the early service were deploying even this week, uh, others in the next few months. If you or one of your family members is deploying in the next few months, could you stand for us this time? Here we go. Thank you. Okay. Recognize them. If if you'll stay standing, uh, we're going to do something a little different if those of you uh, that are sitting, if you could stand too. And whoever's close by, I know we can't all get out of our seats, but if you're close on that row, if you can come around and just put hands on these folks, Uh, hopefully none of you are claustrophobic. Um, We'll lay hands on you, and and I'm going to lead us in prayer for you guys. I'll pray also for those that are currently deployed already as well. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for those that are willing to give of themselves. And Lord, it reminds us of you. It reminds us of your grace and your willingness to give yourself for us. Um, Lord, we pray for protection for those that are already there, for those that are on their way, for those that are about to go. We pray for your protection. We pray that you would remind them that you are with them, that you are their good shepherd and that you walk beside them through um, difficulty, through danger, and that you comfort them and that you feed them. Lord, I pray that they would know your presence and that they would be a light for you, wherever you take me. Lord, I pray for the families that are left behind, that you would encourage them, that you would allow us to be your hands and feet here to encourage them in real ways, uh, to bless them, to comfort them. And Lord, we pray that through difficulty, you would be glorified, that you would be honored as we depend on you, as we trust you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, guys. As I said, we're in Luke 15 this week. This summer, we've been doing a topical series. We usually uh, focus on particular books of the Bible. Uh, and so, we've been doing a, a topical series as kind of a transition point in the summer uh, through the different uh, stations and positions that God calls us to. We called it in God's family. We looked at different roles that God has us in. And we looked at work relationships and marriage and what it means to the parent and, and different things like that. I tried to understand God's. God's ideals for us in that situation. And we, we kind of tried to bring it back again and again to that realization that we have to first understand that we're God's child before we can fulfill any other position that we have. If we don't get that straight and we live as an orphan, then we're going to kind of mess up any other, any other station that God calls us to in life. Because we're going to be uh, fighting and strapping to take care of ourselves instead of living in dependence on God and living in dependence on His Grace. So we had a good time this summer uh, setting through that together. Uh, just for the next few weeks as we transition into a new school year, we're going to look at uh, our mission statement. Our vision at Grace Bible Church is that we exist to glorify God by multiplying followers of Christ among every people group. We take that directly out of Matthew 28, 18 through 20. Um, that is our, our vision statement, if you will, kind of a big idea. A lot of people use these terms differently, vision, mission, purpose. Uh, For our purposes. We call this our vision statement. It's kind of the big idea. Okay? And then we try to bring that down a notch to our mission statement, which is that we would trust God's grace, that we would submit to his Bible, and that we would be his church. Uh, And you may see a progression here, and we're kind of trying to communicate a progression here. People need to meet God and understand who he is and, and begin a relationship with him. Now, of course, this continues, and that's what we're going to talk about today. We're going to break this up in the next three weeks. We're going to talk about these three different things over the next three weeks. Um, So today we're talking about trusting in grace. I will also talk next week about submitting to his Bible, learning to grow and understand God's directions for us that he's given us in the scriptures. And then the last thing is being his church. Uh, That looks like being Jesus' hands and feet in this world, doing his work of redemption by his grace for his glory, being his church in community and in mission. Um, So today we're going to focus on trusting in God's grace. As I said, these are a progression, but we'll also note that most of these things we kind of stay on our whole life as well. As we talk about trusting in God's grace today, we need to understand that trusting grace is how you begin a relationship with God. You have to understand grace to even open that door to having a relationship with God at all. But it's also how you continue in that relationship. It's an important part of, of waking up every day, knowing that you breathe, that you live, that you do right because of his grace. We live in dependence on him. And we're going to see that really strongly in our text today. The word grace, just so you understand, literally means that it's a gift of God, right? Our relationship with God is a gift. It's not something that we muster from our own strength. But grace, by definition, by definition means a gift. It's something that God gives to us. It's not something that we give. To ourselves. So that's what grace means as a theological term, um, and it's our job to trust that God is actually gracious. It's a hard thing to remember, but that's what we're going to try to remember today as we look at Luke chapter 15. Uh, What we see here is the parable of the prodigal son, as it's famously called. We're going to look at verses 11 through 32. And in the parable of the prodigal son, it's the third in three parables. Jesus gives this string of three parables showing us that God rejoices. To accept sinners back into his life. That he sees sinners as as something that's been lost, that is now found. That's a repeated theme that he hits in three parables in a row. And we're going to start here in this third parable. We'll touch on the other ones a little bit later, but we'll start in verse 11. So if you'll read with me, Luke 15, starting in verse 11. It says, and he said, talking about Jesus. There was a man who had two sons. So it's not just a parable about the prodigal son. It's a parable about two sons. That's an important thing to remember. The younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of property that is coming to me. And he divided his property between them. Not many days later, the younger son gathered all he had and took a journey into a far country, and there he squandered his property in reckless living. And when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in that country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country, who sent him into the fields, To feed pigs. Not a nice job. And he was longing to be fed with the pods the pigs ate, and no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread? But I perish here with hunger. I'll arise and go to my father, and I'll say to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and before you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. And he arose and came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, to celebrate. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for your word. And Lord, I pray that as we look at it today, that your spirit would open our eyes, because it's not natural for us to, to think this way. It's not natural for us to see the world this way. Lord, help us to not trust in ourselves, but to trust in you. I pray this in Jesus' name. I think as we look at this story, um, we're going to be challenged not to trust in ourself, but to trust in God instead of ourself. And there's really two different directions that we go with this. Um, we often trust in sin and our own gut and kind of our own impulses, indulgence. That's one way that we trust in ourselves. That's kind of a non-religious way, trust in yourself, kind of do your own thing, follow your own heart. And then the other way is that we would trust in our own goodness. And actually think that we can do well enough on our own. Think that we can, we can do what God tells us and do things right and achieve what we need to achieve by our own strength. Those are two what seem like opposite ways of living, right? The, the religious way to live and the non-religious way to live. But they're both forms of trusting in ourselves. They're both forms of not trusting in God but trusting in ourselves. And, and what we're going to look at this morning is that we are called to trust in God's grace, His goodness to us, His generosity to us. And as we look in the story, we'll see that, that Jesus encourages us to come to an end of ourselves, to not see ourselves as a hero anymore, but to see God as the hero that we need to help us. I wanted to share a, a scene that I saw in a movie one time to help us understand this. It was an action movie that came out in 1993, one of my favorite movies, and it's a story about a rescue climber. A guy that's like, you know, the best climber in the world, and they rescue people, they climb up the sides of the cliffs and tall peaks, and they rescue people, and they bring helicopters out there. And in this movie, it opens up with this couple stranded on a peak. Uh, the man has injured himself, and so he can't uh, help his girlfriend get back down, and so they're, they're stuck. And so the rescue climber climbs up from below, and then a helicopter comes. The peak is too small for this helicopter to land on the peak. So what they do is they drop a cable and nail it down into the first peak and then they, they park the helicopter on the other peak so they have this cable going from one peak to the next. And they're going to basically rescue the people by harnessing them to a zip line and they go across the helicopter from one side to the other. It's not stable enough, like I said, to just put them in the helicopter directly. Uh, so first the injured man gets on the zip line and he ferries across on the, on the zip line and he makes it to the other side. Uh, and then his girlfriend is left there with a rescue climber and she's next and she starts to go across. About halfway across, her, uh, the little bracket that's holding her gear together begins to break. It begins to fail. Now, I, I was saying earlier that I'm glad I'm giving this story at the end of summer camp season, because none of you would you know, want to go do a ropes course again. Because um, this never really happens, right? They never really break like that. But in the movie, it's, it's really dramatic, and you see Uh, In this action movie, in this hero movie, you know, the drama of it beginning to come uncoiled. And so she's hanging, I think it was 3,000 feet up in the air on this wire, you know, screaming and and kind of falling down as as the cables are zipping out and coming apart because that little uh, little bracket is beginning to come undone. And so realizing there's not enough time and she's barely hanging on and she's not going to make it and they can't get another harness, the hero of the movie is going to go out and rescue her, right? I mean, that's why we watch these action movies, is to see the hero rescue people. That's why I watch them, anyway. I want to imagine, I fantasize that I'm that hero, right? So I want you to get in my shoes. Maybe you're not as sick as I am, but for just a moment, pretend, and think of yourself as the hero in the story. Put yourself in the hero's shoes. You are rushing out to rescue uh, this woman that's stranded, and you've got the big muscles, and, you know, and you're the action hero, and you're going to go out there and get her, and he throws the gear over the zip line, and he starts running out there to get her real quickly, and because his gear is just kind of slapped on there, he's got to hold it with one hand while he reaches down with the other to grab her. And and of course, since it's a movie, she falls right when he grabs her, right? And so just right at the last minute, she's screaming, he grabs her hand, I think the the teddy bear falls out of her backpack, and you see it go down 3,000 feet into nothingness. And he's, he's holding on And he's, he's huge and he's strong And so of course he's the hero I mean it's the opening scene of the movie So of course he's going to rescue her right And he's got a hold of her hand but, but he's got these gloves on And she's got gloves on too And the gloves start to slip and, and the hands start to slide apart And, and the hero ends up dropping And, and she falls 3,000 feet to her death And if you're like me, you're probably thinking, I want my money back. Because that's not the way the hero movie is supposed to, that's not the way it's supposed to go, right? I mean, I come to the movies, I watch these movies so I can fantasize about being that hero that rescues that person and coming in and saving the day. And right there in the opening scene, he fails. He, he, He drops her. He's a failed hero. He can't do it. And that movie, to me, reminds me of what Jesus often does in his parables. Because if you're like me, and I know you're not all as sick as I am, if you're like me, though, you, you read stories thinking you want to be the hero like the hero in the story. But the Bible is it's a different kind of book. You see, in the Bible, it shows us as being failures. It shows that, that humans have messed up, but that God is the hero. Like that movie that, that did things all wrong. They didn't understand how to make movies properly. They didn't know that the hero was supposed to win, you know. He, he fails in the beginning. And, and this book is, is like that. We fail. We, we drop people. We come to an end of our strength. And I think this is really important in our community. Because, because we have a community of heroes. I mean, some of you guys have done things I could never imagine doing. I mean, we have real action heroes that belong to this church. And, and even those of you that aren't action heroes, just, just great people that serve and give of yourselves and do incredible things. And and I'm blessed to pastor this church. I am blessed to be a part of this community. Incredible people And and I'm not not just saying that. That is for real. I work here with some of the best people I've ever worked with anywhere. But I think there's a danger when you're strong. There's a danger when you're strong. You begin to think that you can do it on your own. There's this danger where we begin to think that we will always be strong enough. And that if we just play our cards right, if we just work hard and do everything the way we should do it, um, that that we'll be blessed and everything will work out. And, And what Jesus is showing us in this parable is we have to come to an end of ourselves. We have to realize that we can't always do it. That doesn't mean you give up and you don't try. That doesn't mean you don't apply yourself and work hard and do what God calls you to do. But you have to realize that our successes are because of God's grace, not because of our own strength. That we are all dependent on God's strength, on God's grace. So whether you're following your own heart, or whether you're depending on your own goodness, either way, you need to to let go of those things and trust in God's grace. Realize that that we're not the heroes that we thought we were, but that God is, and we need to trust Him. The first thing that we see in this story is Jesus sets it up is that grace is squandered. The first thing we see is is grace is squandered. There's this pattern throughout the Bible, kind of a creation, fall, redemption pattern. A lot of people kind of use that as kind of a framework to understand just the big story, the meta story of the Bible. What's What's the one story that runs through these 66 books? You have creation, all is good. Fall, we mess it up. And then redemption, God begins fixing it. And he works through us and in spite of us. Jesus comes to save us. Jesus lives a perfect life in our place. And he dies a sacrificial death to take our sin upon himself. So he takes our place. He gives us salvation. And then he begins working through us in the world to extend that, to share that gift of salvation with other people. And there will be some day when it's all, it's all consummated, it all comes together, it's all made right. So we've got this creation, fall, redemption pattern. And you kind of see a similar pattern in the story. You see things starting out really good. Just like in Genesis chapter 1, God created all these things and it was good. You start off with this story of a happy family. You've got two brothers and a man and they have great wealth and it's all good. But then there's this fall. There's this fall where the younger son wants to take what's his and leave. And go do his own thing. And that's what it tells us. There's this man who had two sons and the younger said, Father, give me the share of property that's coming to me. And he divided his property between them. In this day and age, the older son would get two-thirds and the younger son would get one-third. So he gets a smaller share. And it's supposed to happen when the father dies. And so basically when the younger son is saying, give me my share now, he's saying, I wish you were dead. I just want to take my money and go. And that's really what the son is communicating in this culture at this time. It may be hard for us to understand because we don't operate in the same way. Uh, Most of us won't have anything to pass on to our children but debt. But back then, you know, they had... They had stuff, and they had great wealth, and he was supposed to wait until the father died, and then it would be split up. But he's saying, Father, I wish you were dead. I just want to take the stuff. I just want to go and do my own, my own thing. It says in verse 13, not many days later, the younger son gathered all he had and took a journey into a far country. And there he squandered his property in reckless living. So he took the grace he'd been given. He took all these riches, this wealth that had been given to him, and he just squandered it. He just blew it. He wasted it. Verse 14 says, When he had spent everything, then a severe famine arose in that country, and he began to be in need. He spent everything he had, and then it got worse. Famine struck. Verse 15 says, So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country who sent him into his fields to feed pigs. I have a picture here of pigs. To remind us, they're dirty and disgusting, right? Anybody here ever worked with pigs? They're filthy, right? And and they're filthy to us, right? But they're a whole other kind of filthy for a Jew. Because the Jews were forbidden to touch pigs. They were forbidden to work with pigs. They did not eat pig. Um, This was an unclean animal. It was part of their symbolic uh, purity. There's all these laws in the Old Testament where God makes them be pure symbolically to communicate something. we talked about that before, kind of like God's ancient flannel graph to communicate things to people, to show people that God is holy. So, So as a symbolic rule, they were not to eat them. But we also know, you know, from modern technology, that they really are filthy. You know, that the pig is pretty bad for you, and you've got to be real careful to, you know, cook all the germs out of it and that sort of thing. And so this was a filthy animal, and, and even more filthy for him. And so he had hit rock bottom here. I mean, this was the worst of the worst. And, and in this context, in the first century, Jesus telling the story, this would have probably uh, made people gag. You know I mean? It's easy for us to just kind of sit back cold and cool and be like, oh, okay, pigs, things were bad, all right. But I mean, this would have been like, you know, I mean, he would have been like, oh, people hearing that story, you now you just kind of, you're revolted when you hear something. You know, somebody describes something, and I won't try to do that to you this morning, but Jesus did, so it's okay, right? So if I ever do, do that, it's okay, I'm following his lead. But, but basically, he's just, I mean, he's sickening people. Everybody's like, oh, oh pigs, gross. And it says, it gets even worse, he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate. No one gave him anything. I mean, he he had hit rock bottom. This was as bad as it could get. Now, now some of you have already hit that place. I know some of your stories. You have hit bottom, and and like this guy, you you woke up and you called out for help, and God began to help you. Some, Some of you, though, you're still pushing it. You're still trying to see how far you can go. You're still trying to figure out where bottom is. And I want to encourage you that that when you get to that point of hitting the bottom, that that we have a gracious God who is there. He he will open up His arms to you. And you know what? You don't even have to go all the way down. You, You could ask for help now. You could call out to Him and help now. We have this idea that that it would be embarrassing, so we don't want to do it, right? We don't want people to know what we've done, so we kind of keep trying to do it on our own. I want to encourage you what it says in Matthew 5, that blessed are those who mourn, because they will be comforted. It says, blessed are the meek. Meek just means the lowly, because they will inherit the earth. It says, blessed are the poor in spirit, those who have nothing, who are spiritually bankrupt. For God will give them the kingdom of heaven. You've got to come to that place. Like I said, you you don't have to hit your rock bottom. But you have to come to a place of brokenness before God. Realizing that you need him. Realizing that you need his help. You have to come to that place personally. And ask for him to help you. Like I said, don't don't wait until it gets as bad as it can get. You, You can ask for help. Now, in verse 17, it says, When he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread? But I can perish here with hunger. I'll arise and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. And he arose and came to his father. We talk about this a lot. In recovery ministry, the first part is recognizing that you have a problem the first part is recognizing that you've blown it and you need help. That's the first part to, to getting help, is, is getting to that place of like what Jesus describes in Matthew 5, that, that you are spiritually bankrupt, that you are meek, that you have nothing. You're mourning over your lack and over your brokenness. That, that's the first step. The, the traditional uh, churchy word for it is confession. A lot of times we think of confession as a particular act, Right? Uh, Different churches have different ways they do confession. Some do it as a part of the liturgy in the corporate worship service. Some do it as individuals with a priest. The word means agree. It means say the same thing as. That's what confession means. So in the Bible, when you read the word confession, it means say the same thing as. And so what God is asking you to do as a believer is say the same thing that he says about your sin. Right? He, He already sees your sin. He wants you to admit it as well. He wants you to be willing to say, I've blown it. Just like this guy here, I've sinned against heaven, and I've sinned against you. We have to come to that point of being willing to confess that, of being willing to admit that, of being willing to say, I've I've blown it, and I need God's help. I need his rest. I've squandered what he's given me. And then it gets good. The next section is grace and joy. It says, while he was still a long way off, his father saw him. And felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. This is that word compassion that we've talked about before that's usually used just of Jesus. It's this uh, word that literally means your, your guts are moved. You're moved towards someone. It's, it's gut-wrenching. It's heartbreaking. He, he's moved towards his son. It says he saw him from a long way off. He was looking for him. He was waiting for his son to come back. And it says he ran to him. And here in ESG it says embraced him and kissed him. And literally in the Greek it he fell on his neck. I mean, the father just jumped on it. It's amazing in this culture that the father ran to him as well. I mean, they didn't—they didn't do that. That was undignified in this day and time. I mean, imagine a big older man with some heavy robes, and he's just like yanking up the robes, and he just takes off running. It's not—it's not the way men acted in that day. We don't understand because you know a lot of you guys are crazy, and you still run even in your old age around here because the army, I think, but. But in that day, people didn't do that. There was no jogging fad back then, you know. People ran when they were like in their 20s and that was it. No more after that. But he takes off running. He goes after it. He embraces it. He's been longing for him to come back. That's the picture that you need to have. Wherever you are stuck in your sin and your brokenness and your shame over whatever you're involved in right now, you have to recognize that that's a God that loves you, that's pursuing you, that's looking for you to come back, that's longing for you to come to him. He wants you. He wants to embrace you and wrap his arms around you. So as the father said to his servants, bring quickly the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet. The son made his confession again in 21. I've sinned against you. I've sinned against heaven. He says, that's forgiven. He puts a great robe on him. He puts a ring on him. He puts sandals on his feet. A robe was, was clothing him And covering him uh, the, the picture again and again throughout the New Testament Is that we are clothed in Christ's righteousness That yes we have blown it We have squandered sin But God the Father wraps us in Jesus' goodness So that he sees us as delightful As beautiful As righteous As brave as we were supposed to be Because we're covered in Christ. He puts, he puts a ring on his finger, and that wasn't just for decoration back there. It's not like just some random, you know, some random flash to have on his hand. But, but this was like a sign of authority. This would be like a signet ring, you know, that they would stamp wax or clay tablets with as a mark of the family. He's been welcomed back into the family business. It's kind of like he's put back as a, as a signer on a checking account. You know, he is, he's back in. He's got now authority again in the family. Slaves at that time would wear... Uh, They would go barefoot, and now he's being given shoes. They're saying, you're not a slave. He comes back and he confesses, I've sinned, just make me a slave, just make me a servant. He says, no, I'm making you a son. I'm welcoming you back in to the family. He says, get the fattened calf and kill it, and let us eat and celebrate. I want to remind you again, culturally, in this day, this is a big deal. Because we eat barbecue like every other day here, Right? So, I mean we we live off fattened calf all the all the time, and it's killing us as a country too. But but at this time they were on the Mediterranean diet. I mean, that's they just ate like olives and fruit and maybe a little grain here and there and some fish. And then only like once or twice a year they would have a big celebration, maybe a big wedding that the whole city was invited to, and they'd kill the fattened calf. They had special ceremonies, they'd go to the temple and have a special barbecue for those ceremonies. So this was a rare Thing that they would do. This was a big celebration to have a barbecue. This was a citywide party. I have a picture here of, of people dancing. It says, let us eat and celebrate, verse 23. And then verse 24 says, for this, my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and was found. And it says, and they began to celebrate. And I want us to get the picture in our head that, that that's what it means to have a relationship with God. But he welcomes us back into this party, into this celebration. Uh, I don't know if you're like me, but, but dancing makes me a little uncomfortable. I'm a little awkward. I don't know how awkward you are. Um, but, but I'm trying to learn. I'm trying to learn to, listen, to loosen up a little bit. And I'm trying to learn to celebrate more. And my wife and my kids tease me for being kind of you know, kind of flat. I'm kind of stoic, kind of melancholy sometimes. I'm trying to, trying to enjoy more of the good things of life and enjoy the goodness of God. And, and that's the picture that's given again and again of, of who God is. He's inviting us in to this party. He welcomes us back and he wants us to celebrate with him. Just this great image in Matthew 22 where Jesus says the kingdom of God is like a great wedding feast. Again, the, the biggest party they would ever have in their town. Jesus says that's what the kingdom is like. It's like being invited in. You're not on the outside anymore, but you've been invited. You've been chosen. You've been asked to come in to the party. That's the attitude that God has towards you. The next thing that we see is someone stays outside of the party. Everyone else is enjoying the party. Everyone else is celebrating. Everyone else is singing and dancing. But grace is still rejected by the older brother. Read with me in verse 25. It says, Now his older son was in the field, and as he came and drew near to the house, he heard music and dancing. And he said to him, "Son, you're always with me, and all that is mine is yours." It was fitting to celebrate and be glad, for this brother of yours was dead and is alive. He was lost and is now found. This this series of parables, as I, I said earlier, is not just speaking to the person who is lost. It's not just speaking to the person who's hit rock bottom, but it's also speaking to us religious goody-two-shoes types. I, I can speak pretty hard on this to you guys because I'm one of those kinds of people, right? I mean, here I am. I'm a religious leader, right? And, and this, these are the people that Jesus is speaking to. He's challenging the religious leaders. If you look at the beginning of chapter 15 before he goes into all these parables, verses 1 through 3, it says, Now the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to him, to Jesus. So the sinners, the rebels, the ones that were following their heart, they were, they were strangely attracted to Jesus in this grace this God that would welcome sinners, that would forgive us of our sins. They they were drawn to him, but that upset the religious leaders. The religious leaders didn't like that. Just like the older brother, the religious leaders got angry, it says in verse 2, and the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled, saying, this man receives sinners and eats with them. Like, doesn't he understand the rules? How can he be righteous if he's friends with bad people, right? And many of us, tend to think that way, right? We we may not say it that bluntly. So so Jesus told them these parables. Jesus then told them the parable of the lost sheep and rejoicing to find that lost sheep. He told them the parable of the lost coin and and the rejoicing to find that lost coin. And then he tells them the story of the lost brother and the rejoicing to find that brother. But then he ends all of these stories with the other brother that refuses to go into the party. And he leaves it hanging. And he leaves it hanging with you and with me as well. Are we going to refuse to go into the party? Are we going to think that, that we've done it all ourselves and that we deserve more because we've kept the rules and we've done everything right and we've done this and we've done that? Are we going to trust in our own goodness more than God himself? I found a picture here of a little girl having a temper tantrum. I don't know if you can see that very well. Got her arms crossed. She's mad. No, I refuse, right? You've probably already seen that in your own home sometimes. Maybe you've done that to people. You've done that to your spouse, to your own parents. Maybe you're doing that to God right now. I mean, maybe you're better at God right now because you've you've done what you were supposed to do, right? God, if I if I live a good life, if I'm a good person, then you owe me, right? Then God God owes me. I, I did everything I was supposed to do. I kept the rules. I'm not like that other brother or that other sister that just did whatever she wanted to. It doesn't seem to be hurting her much or him much. I did the right things, and I'm not getting paid back for it. Jesus challenges that view head on here. He says we we can't see God as if one guy uses this term like a pinata, you know, like we're going to beat him with our religious stick until candy comes out. We can't use our religious deeds to extract blessings from God. We can't do these good things and say, you owe me, God. You you have to do this for me because I've been good. That's not how it works. Whether you're good or bad, we're all still bad. That's what the Bible says. We're all still sinners. We all still need God's grace, no matter how good you are. I guarantee there are a lot of you that are a lot better than me. But, But even you need God's grace. You need the sacrifice of Christ. You need His goodness. Your own goodness is not enough. And so the challenge of this parable is that we would not trust in sin, like the younger brother, but also that we wouldn't trust in our own goodness. We wouldn't trust in our own works. Now I encourage you, if, if you are in that situation with God right now, maybe you're in a marriage and you feel like, I've, I've given and I've given and I've given, and I've done what I'm supposed to do, I'm not getting paid back. Maybe with kids, maybe as a parent, you're saying, God, I've done the stuff I'm supposed to do. I don't know if you're like me. I tend to be a problem solver, and so I think I've done this, and I've done this. And it didn't work, and I keep banging my head against the wall, so I, I go back to the drawing board. And I think, I know what I need to do. I need to brainstorm more. I need to just turn the wheels up there harder. I just need to think more, and then I can solve my way out of this. Instead of calling out to God to help me, to rescue me out of the situation. And I'll just bang my head up against the wall again and again and again. Maybe you're like that. I hope not. Maybe you're not as dumb as me. But if you're in that position, I want to encourage you that God comes out to you as well. He doesn't just throw parties for the sinners, He's throwing the party for you too. He wants you to come into the party. As well it says he entreated the older brother He pleaded with him He said come in to the party Come and enjoy my grace And that's his call to us That are religious as well I don't know where you fit If you're the wild one Or if you're the uptight one You may be like me and you're just up and down right? Like one month you're one and one month you're the other And you don't know where you stand I want to encourage you that no matter what You have a gracious heavenly father That is pursuing a relationship with you. He is wanting to call you in to the party. He's wanting you to enjoy that relationship. And to enjoy being his child. Being adopted as his child by God's grace. So that you can do his work for his glory. Not to extract blessings out of him. Not to pull good things out of him because you've done good. That's slavery. In other translations, that's what it says about the older brother. Here where he says, I've served you all these years. In other translations, it says... I slaved for you. Well, God doesn't want you to be a slave. He wants you to be his son. He wants you to be his daughter. And know that he gives you all good things by his grace, not because he deserves it, but because he is good. I want to encourage you, if you want to learn more about this, there's a great book by an author named Tim Keller. One of my favorite books called The Prodigal God. There's a few other books here as well. ...that are on the same topic that I would encourage... ...Children of the Living God by Sinclair Ferguson... ...From Fear to Freedom by Rosemarie Miller... ...and Transforming Grace by Jerry Bridges. These are, these are great books. You can come up and look at them. Don't steal them. These are mine. But you can come up and look at them and maybe order one of your own. Uh, this one's interesting because he, he titles it The Prodigal God. And we think, well, that's, that's offensive, right? I mean, we always think because of the story in our, our cultural history... ...that prodigal means naughty or prodigal means bad... Um, But really, prodigal literally means spending everything you have. Prodigal means you spend everything you have. So this is about this younger son that spends everything he has. And Keller points out that really it's about a God that spends everything he has on us. And he points out that when you understand the rest of the gospel, when you understand the book of Luke, that Jesus is the true older brother to these rebellious Israelites. This older brother... A party is being given with his inheritance, right? Because the younger brother took his inheritance. Everything that's left is his. So this party is being thrown with the older brother's money. Well, Jesus is the true older brother that he's not going to be bitter about that. He's the one that's happy to spend everything he has for you. That's the story of gospel. That Jesus gave himself. He spent everything he had to give his life for yours, to love you so that you can give yourself to others. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your grace to us. I pray that you would teach us to believe it, to trust you, not to trust in our own strength, not to try to be the hero of our own story, but to trust you to be the hero, Lord. We thank you for your son, Jesus, that gave himself, pray that anything that we do, any good deeds that we do, are a reflection of your goodness to us. That they are by your grace and for your glory. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. If you all
0: stand with us, let's sing out together.